Welcome to another episode of Breezy Banter. I'm Josh. I'm Ellie. And today we are talking about tropes slash cliches slash whatever we're... Even being English majors a little fuzzy on the definitions and the, like, boundaries of those different things or not-so-different things. But we're going to be talking about things in media, TV, movies, books, whatever that may be in media that we enjoy. Yeah. Repeated motifs and what have you. Or, like, specific types of plot lines, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just sort of... We're not going to be talking about, like, fully blanket, just, like, (laughs) media things that we enjoy. But we are going to be talking about, like, reoccurring things across different genres and stuff that we enjoy. Right. Yes. So, um, where do we want to start? Yeah, this is, like, a really big topic that we could take kind of anywhere. Take it, yeah, like, I don't know, like, maybe let's just start with, let's get into the, our Tumblrina perspective right off the bat and be like, what are your favorite, like, fanfic tropes slash just overall, like, romance tropes? Because that also ties back into our last episode being love. Yes. Um... Um... and I definitely, I don't, I have never been a huge fanfic reader. I know you have been off and on. Yes. Um, and I've had my flirtations with being a fanfic reader, but I've never been like all in on it. That being said, a lot of the fanfic tropes, and some of those have crossover with like rom-coms and stuff too, but some of them feel uniquely fanfic. Yes. Yeah, I will agree. Some with of that. them are really fun, and there are also some rom-com tropes and stuff that I just adore. Same. So let's get into it. Let's get into this. So this little section to start with will be specifically like romantic shippy kind of tropes. All right. Just because that feels like an easy starting point because everybody knows these. I yes. feel like. Um. The the one that since you brought up fiction, fan fiction that I'll bring up. That I feel like happen. It does happen in like movies and stuff, but it's more of a moment in a movie. Whereas like fan fiction will really draw this out. But like hurt slash comfort is like mm. my like go to when I like read fanfic because it's always like one character taking care of another character, and I'm just like I love that shit. Like, um, and I like it in movies too, but they never like draw it out in a movie. Whereas, I like, kind I of feel agree like with that. Could, but, like, fan fiction really, like, has you sit in it, and it's, like, that's, like, the whole however many pages it is, like, Even of however just... many chapters it is, because that yeah. hurt comfort was in some of my little fanfic eras, mini, mini-sodes, was, like, I was a big hurt comfort fan, but then on the opposite end of that... I think maybe my all-time romantic trope, be it fanfic, be it movies, be it whatever, enemies to lovers. And you know what my brain immediately goes to? Princess Diaries 2. Princess Diaries <laughs> 2? chemistry? Princess Diaries <laughs> 2? Princess Diaries 2. fucking chemistry? I can't even, I don't know. I don't know what else to the say. way that the way that outside of that movie I would not look twice at him, but the way no, but specifically in that, movie, in that movie I would die for Chris Pine. I would be slaughtered to get that Chris Pine dick. <laughs> I don't know what was happening with that. What the crack in the air of Princess Diaries two was? Pine and and, and Hathaway. Hathaway, which Anne Hathaway I would die for any, any day. Any. Anytime. Anne Hathaway, if you're listening. Anytime. If you're listening. <laughs> we love you. Whether you even need it or not, I'm going to die for you. Yeah, exactly. My last words will be letting Hathaway know the deed is done. <laughs> I did it. I did it for no, you, but Anne. <laughs> I am in love with Anne Hathaway. Yeah, me too. The Big time. The bisexual slave of Princess Diaries 2. Yeah, for real. But that is not my initial enemies to lover. My initial enemies to lovers introduction 
Um, it's hard to exactly pinpoint because it is a really big trope in general. But I do definitely remember, like, in the Pokemon anime, basically any, like, girl that was, like, one of Ash's rivals in this season, they would kind of have that dynamic. Ooh, okay. Kind of. But, like, just kind of, because they were, like... Also, didn't even fully realize how much I was, like in on this enemies to lovers ship until later in life when I reflected on it, but like Sonic and Shadow. Oh Sonic Enemies and Shadow. to Lovers, sorry. Big enemies to lovers right there. Um but then I think the moment where it all like truly started to like shift for me. And this is still like full childhood, like maybe ten years old. I'm getting more and more into comic books and the Catwoman, Batman, enemies to lovers to enemies again to lovers again and the constant back and forth and bickering. Obsessed with them. Fighting and then fucking and then fighting and then fucking again. All in the course of an evening. Literally... Shifted everything about me as a person irreparably. And I was much older, but The like, fact that as a bisexual, those are still two of the characters that it's like... Smash. Would do uh, anything for. That dynamic... Batwoman, Catwoman, to me... Is the cornerstone, the epitome of the enemies to lovers trope. It is everything that that trope... Can and should be. Yeah, that is a and very nothing good will ever live up to that for me. <laughs> nothing will ever live up to that. No, but that, and, <laughs> and to that, me, that's that. to me, enemies to lovers has never been like lovers is not the final destination. No, there has to be for longevity purposes, has to be that flip flop nature. Yes, and that is. No, because how else am I supposed to ship Professor X and <laughs> Magneto? Because the Literally. fact that they were lovers and now they're enemies, and of I course they're fucking... And I hadn't brought that one up yet because that's <laughs> sort of a separate trope of where it's more of a, like, divorced couple, but they still hook up. Mm. But it still is enemies to lovers, but it's more lovers to enemies, <laughs> two lovers to enemies. enemies. Lovers it's enemies. kind of the reverse Batwoman, kind of reverse. Batman, Catwoman. <laughs> but, like... Also one of my all-time ships. Professor X and Magneto is great. But yeah. I will say also... Again, just have to give it to Batman Catwoman. As the example of that trope. And also just as like... Making me realize I was bisexual as a teenager. Slay of those two. Right. <laughs> um, also, more like... No, like... Normal rom-com, friends to lovers, always, I like that too. Not always, I shouldn't say, but like typically I am on board with friends to lovers as well. I think friends to lovers, the best it works for me is specifically like a Hallmark movie. Yes, Hallmark When she goes home after being in the big city for like 15 years... And then she reconnects with her childhood best friend, and there's just that instant, like, chemistry. Yes. And I feel like that... I feel like the way that works for me better than immediate friends to lovers is that, like, they have the time and space to where it's, like, they aren't even really, like, friends anymore. But also they were always in love with each other. Yes, and that, I, I like that. I, I like it a lot. Requited love, but they're both stupid and don't know oh, the other one. So they are in love with each other, is, but neither of them realizes. That's I, one of my tops. <laughs> like, I can definitely be a sucker for that, yeah. <laughs> like that, that gets me quite often. Also, as the not fully aware of myself and everything child, unrequited love. Pining, pining, drawn out, 
chapter on chapter on chapter of pining in like a fanfic or whatever. Pining for real. That it, hits me. I love it. It does something to me. Like it. <laughs> and I, again, I think it is for both of us probably. It's just the like repressed queer. Yeah, exactly. Childhood of like. Being in love with your friend and not even knowing until you're like, until like 15, 20 years later. And then realizing it's like, oh. <laughs> oh. The pining. The and pining. then also the knowing that you're queer and stuff, but being very like closeted and stuff in like middle high school. Like middle school, high school. That also obviously leads to the like. Pining the being pining, such a big yes. um, thing because yes because any queer kid who was not always openly queer and I I wasn't like out until almost the end of college for me like most of my friends and stuff knew like by the end of high school but I didn't come out to like most of and I'm still not out to all of my family, but that's literally, like, safety reasons. But I wasn't out to my family that that's not a concern with until, like, late college. Because shit's scary. Yeah, exactly. But because of that, the pining. The pining. Yeah, I definitely, um, almost in a way of, like, as a kid not knowing I was queer, it was, like, a self forced pining where I was like I am supposed to like this guy because he is a guy and my friend <laughs> so therefore I am going to pine until we start dating and then I'm like oh we're not that's supposed to be dating <laughs> but then I start pining again later in my 20s because again not realizing <laughs> that I'm queer and then it takes me a full like year yeah, this until is... I realize and then it's like Oh, well, that this makes is where sense now. <laughs> some difference of just life experience because it's like I am bisexual and I have always known pining. Like, I had the like appropriate crushes at the age I was supposed to and stuff. But it was more like, more with that, the pining came from being like neurodivergent and not knowing. Right. And like, absolutely fumbling anytime I ever tried to like engage in anything romantic because I was very a very autistic middle schooler and undiagnosed and that is the age where I genuinely started to feel that the most um because middle school is when social becomes starts to become, like, really important to kids. Yeah, that's um, true. Whereas in elementary school, I I got along with people fine. And I was, like, funny and stuff. But elementary school, me not being, like, the biggest social butterfly was not a bad thing. Because my ADHD and my autism made me, like, the super smart, gifted kid. Yeah. And then when we got to middle school, and I was still doing really well in a lot of stuff, but not well in math specifically and then middle school is also when teachers and stuff also become really concerned if you're not like social and stuff because for whatever reason I mean part of it is literally just hormones and stuff but middle school is like the social yeah age it really is it is the most like make or break socially of any time in your life because high school we found our people and we were okay we right. were weird. We were weird. But we were, we were okay. Kind of just allowed to be. <laughs> Whereas weird middle together. school was like fighting for your fucking life. <laughs> middle school was like I was literally being physically bullied by other children for being weird. But that has led to a lot of fights and romantic tropes in weird ways. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think another, I maybe have, like, one more. Okay. And this is a really, really, really specific one from one of my, like, dalliances in the fanfic world. 
that was like everywhere in the Naruto fanfic world for whatever reason. But it was like high school AU, Homek, two people have to raise a flower baby together. Never oh. spoken. Now they are parents. Now they are parents. I don't know what about that, but I was eating that shit up. That reminds shoving me. That, shoveling that into that my mouth. That is very similar. Good. And I don't know why it was such a thing, but I am here for it. No, I can definitely know what you mean because it's that's very similar to the fan fic trope that is really popular called fake dating. Yes, yes, and that's kind of what and I was so building like, yes, to. Yes. I just had a weird introduction. <laughs> no, yeah, to but that. your introduction was perfect to me. I was like, wait. Because it's kind dating? of the fake dating, and fake dating doesn't always fully work to me. Yeah, it doesn't always work. But it works better for me when it is a like. It's sort of a combination of fake dating, but also just like thrown together. Yes, a because very like. One of my biggest chips ever from my favorite book series ever Todd and Viola Chaos Walking yes and they to me are the epitome of thrown together there's nobody else in this world who quite gets me in my trauma like you do because we've been through it together and that is, I don't know, that just hits different. Um, I sort of have a transitionary one where it's yes. both. Yes, I love it in a romantic sense, and it's going to make sense once I like explain it. Um, but it's also not specific to Yes, romance. so that's a good... Yeah, so yes. bad guy turns good or seems bad, but it's actually good. Love that shit. <laughs> Like, I, like when I say, because Josh has I'm, brought it up before, I have brought it up before, Beauty and the Beast, the impact that had on me. Okay, and yes. And that, the, so like in the romance sense. But where I'm like, going to take it in the non-romance <laughs> sense and in the way of, sorry to all the Tumblr people who were really, it's gotten better, but for a couple years who were really insane about like, stop redeeming villains or whatever, but it's like, I watched Avatar The Last Airbender. As it was airing as a, like, 13-year-old or whatever. And Zuko. And Zuko. Arc. Zuko altered my brain chemistry. Oh, no. I didn't watch it until college, and it still affected me greatly. The way Zuko is written and voice acted and just everything about Zuko in that show. everything about Zuko. That is, like, literally the best arc a character has ever had period no, yeah. period <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's it <laughs> that's it for no because i didn't even think of zuko i watched avatar it. the last airbender no, zuko i is... saw that villain to hear a redemption yes. arc play out before yes. my very eyes and i was like i don't ever want to see any other character have an arc ever again because you don't need to all of you should stop Trying to do character development because nothing is ever going to be this. Yeah, nothing ever. is ever going to be Zuko. For real. Listen, <laughs> I love the he, like the villain redemption arc. I am a sucker for it, largely because of Zuko. But if you are not going to put the time and effort in to make it work like they did with Zuko, yeah. I don't want to see it. For Looking real. at you, fucking Cruella movie. Yeah. I wanted to. I went to that movie. Wanting to see her kill a dog. Yeah. I'm not even joking. That sounds so horrible. No, but she killed But that is what that is who Cruella is. I did not want to have this sympathy story. Yeah. And that is where I'm like, not all villains, again, not even just Cruella looking at you, Disney live action remakes. Right? A lot of villains shouldn't be redeemed. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. Cruella. Shouldn't have been redeemed. Maleficent, I will give you because I do like that movie. That's a good and movie. And Angelina Jolie's hot. Yeah, and I just like <laughs> Angelina Jolie, so I'm biased. I but just, No, and that is... That's also definitely a luxury that Cruella movie does not get. Right. Is that 
I used to really like Emma Stone, but I don't anymore. Oh, that's... I've just grown out of that. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's not even... I, I mean, there are genuine reasons that people dislike her that I am not going to sidetrack or anything. Like her playing a quote-unquote Asian woman in that, like, Aloha rom-com. Right. But also, I think she's a little annoying. Yeah, that... In the era in which I liked her most was also my biggest, like, tumble, like full tumblerina in every sense of the word era. Right. And it was also during Amazing Spider-Man, which she was great in. And it's also, but that's also realizing now that I never fully, like, loved Emma Stone. It's just that Gwen Stacy is, like, my favorite Spider-Man character. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she played her pretty well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, All of that to just say, villain to hero, and like you were saying, I don't. I also really don't mind a like. Was never actually, like evil, right? Which also loops back as always to Catwoman. Catwoman, yeah. She's Literally. never been like fully an irredeemable villain. She no. just also doesn't care about being the good guy. Exactly. Um. Like, I, I know that I said Beauty and, Be Beauty and the Beast had an impact on me, because that was one of my oh, movies. Fully. Uh, I'm not denying that. But also, another Disney one, Lilo and Stitch. Like, oh. the way that that movie... Like, those two movies working together to and be like, not everyone is what they seem. I was like, great, no, I'm convinced. I would not have even made that connection, <laughs> because I was going to bring up Lilo and Stitch, but later, because another trope, probably the trope that like gets to me like producing tears wise the most found family yes i was gonna say found family and Leland again Stitch later is very <laughs> exemplary of the found family trope but then to loop it back to comic books and i could talk about batman with this too like the bat family the bat is family. great yes but that is not the comic books found family to me the comic books found family to me and to Everybody who understands being a queer person is X Men. It's X Men. Yeah. It's X Men. X -Men. Yeah. What even more do you have to say about that? It's X Men. Nothing. <laughs> that found is the greatest found family of all time. There are family. two fully separate, feuding found families in the X Men universe with the X Men and the Brotherhood. Literally, what more could you want from a comic book series that? There are these husbands who are now divorced and want to kill each other. Literally at each other's Who also throats. have founded two fully separate found families. Who also have their full own degrees of interconnected hate fucking. Hate fucking and exactly. also just even within their separate groups have loads and loads of insanity. X-Men is everything to me. Yeah. It is everything to me. X-Men does it when it for me when it comes to fan family. Because it's like, who else? And I am... That is no discredit to, like, the Bat family of the Batman comics. Because I do love them. Right. But they did not become a part of my life until much later. Right. Because I was reading Batman comics as a kid, which is how the Batman Catwoman of it all, like, got to me. But also through some of the movies. But... I have been reading X-Men for longer than that, and I never stopped consuming X-Men content. Whereas there was a solid, like, five or six years that I was not consuming Batman content anymore. Right. That, that makes sense. And it's also like, again, love the Bat family. It just doesn't do it for me the way X-Men does. There is a degree of insanity that X-Men reaches every day that Batman can only hope to aspire to. Right. Uh, X-Men is way more insane and, like, very directly about oppressed groups yeah, coming not, together. Not always done well, not well to, about not oppressed necessarily groups. necessarily done well. The messaging is, is messy. not always good. No, it is... Uh, very messy when it comes to X-Men. I'm not saying it's But because good. that is the intent and 
in my experience with the franchise and stuff, it's like, yes, they fumble somewhat often. But there are also as many, if not more, like, great moments that I love from the X-Men franchise as there are moments that make me be like, oh. Right. <laughs> Whereas the Batman franchise, to me, was a lot more like, Moments that I did not like for several years until more recently. And they've kind of course corrected. They've started to do more stuff that I do enjoy and stuff. But Batman and DC as a whole has always been like a lot more willing to go like grim, dark, edgy than I am comfortable with. Yeah. Especially Batman. Yes, especially Batman. And I get that into right. to it's, an extent. Yeah, it's like to each their own. Yes. To an extent because there are things that I will never forgive certain Batman writers for. And thankfully a lot of those things thankfully by the nature of comics like positive and negative it's like anything is going to be retconned any day at any time for no yes, reason. Yes, exactly. And that can be a curse and a blessing. Exactly, but it can be. Anyways, to continue, let's get back on track talking about tropes because I <laughs> could go on a whole other tangent right? right now, but I will hold myself back. Um, what are some other tropes you really like? Um, I also, um, and it's I'm not saying it's like not a problematic scene because it is, or like a <laughs> sequence or whatever you want to call it, but like I like a makeover. I, I love, like, I'm sorry, I'm a, sucker, I'm a sucker for it. I'm not saying there aren't issues oh, there with the idea. Oh, there 100% are issues um, the idea. I but. still, I fall for it, though. <laughs> I like it. Um, I do, and I can, I even like it sometimes better, though, when they make fun of it, and they still do it, but it, like, doesn't work, yeah. like, Scooby-Doo 2 and everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, yeah. that's just not who they are and stuff, and that part... Even that, I think it's just fun to watch characters get all, like, dressed up or done up in a way that they wouldn't normally do. No, I can Again, the I first Princess Diaries. That. Like, <laughs> that, I, I like that scene, even though it's, like... And honestly, I, I get that. Yeah, I, fully I don't know, it's just fun. <laughs> um... Another trope I really, really love is, in horror, the final girl. The final girl. That's, again, can be poorly done, can be, like, can have its problems and stuff. But, God, when it's done well, it hits. Because you're always fucking rooting for her. Like Exactly. Like, like And I mean part of it is just that I'm like, yes, I love you girl, I don't know what you're up to, but but most of the time it's just like this guy's been trying to fucking kill you the whole movie and I'm so glad you made it. Well and when it's done when it's done poorly, it's like you're kind of rooting for her because there's nobody else left to root yeah, for. Yeah, because there's And then it doesn't feel as fun or anything. Right. But when it's done well, it's like you have liked her from the beginning. And so when she does succeed, it feels really earned. Or when she doesn't, it makes it like really devastating, like in a good way for horror. Like. Right. I think it's just a fun trope that I enjoy a lot. Right. Yeah, I get that. That's one that like I don't I don't have a ton to like go, go on and on, on about, on, but it's just on, like on, I no, but it's just, I like the final girl trope and I think it's fun. Right. Kind of with the rooting for her thing, it's like it's sort of like how I feel about like revenge stories. I'm just like, <laughs> uh, it can be really bad, but when it's like, yeah, I want to see her <laughs> kill him. <laughs> I don't know, like the impact. That Kill Bill had on me because I saw I was it at literally 11. about to say the, you need to preface talking about this with the fact that Kill Bill fundamentally changed, changed you me. from a, like a like, young age. Yeah, because I saw that movie when I was like 11 or whatever. 
because my dad let me just watch whatever he was watching. Because um, dads are just like that. Yeah, dad <laughs> behavior. Dad behavior to let you just watch movies that you shouldn't be watching. But it made me be like, yeah, good for her. Like, I don't always watch movies through that lens, though. Like, people thought, like, Midsummer was, a, like, a good-for-her movie. And I was like, that's not a good-for-her movie. She's in a cult now. <laughs> like, in case you, like, missed that part where right. she's being indoctrinated into a cult. Literally. That was the plot of that movie. But in Kill Bill, Bill tried to kill Uma Thurman's character. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to kill him. And I'm like, good. You should. And she does. <laughs> Eventually. Ava, it takes a very long time. Takes two because movies. Quentin Tarantino is insane. Yeah. He I... has several things wrong with him. I hate him. No matter how much I like them, those two movies. No, and yeah, I'm not I'm not faulting you for that, but I I did not see those movies until well into college. Right. And the Quentin Tarantino of it all is not lost on somebody who did not see it. Right, no, because I saw... I still enjoyed it. Right, but that's how I feel about Pulp Fiction, because I didn't see that movie until college, and I was like, I hate this. Like, I hate this. I was just saying, I straight up hate Pulp Fiction. I don't even have, like... Kill Bill is, like, the Quentin Tarantino of it all was far too present for my liking, but they are enjoyable movies. Like, I still had fun with them and stuff, whereas Pulp Fiction... I do not have fun. I am sorry to all of those listening. And I am listening. struggling I to watch it. I genuinely hate that movie. I genuinely think it's one of the worst movies it's a ever. Ba- I think it's a bad movie. I hate it. I, I, I literally hate that movie. No, because it's like, even though I can watch Kill Bill and I can see the Quentin Tarantino of it all, like, now as an adult, I am like, at least this fucking makes sense to me. Well, in like, Pulp Fiction... And it's fun. Pulp whereas fiction, Pulp Fiction is not fun. And, like, it's so, to me, scattered that I'm like, this doesn't make sense see, to me. See, Pulp Fiction makes boring. perfect sense to me. I just don't think it's good. And just straight up. The fact that you get it and it, you don't think it's good <laughs> makes me feel like... It yeah, because it's really not a good not or interesting because, plot. Because, like, I don't get it. And that is part of what makes me think yep, it's, it's bad. But that's not, not the only thing that makes me think it's bad. Just the movie itself is not enjoyable at all to watch. I don't like, like it. Yeah, I don't not a good like movie. it. Fuck you, Quentin. I will die on that hill. Hell, <laughs> I will die on exactly. But um, I'm kind of trying to think. Uh, this is something that is across media, but like I. I'm, like, obsessed with that, like, one really wise character that, like, knows the answer that they're, like, and they're, like, we have to go see whoever it is. And then he, like, tells them some kind of wisdom, and they're, like, oh, my God, we're gonna go do whatever it is. That's actually (laughs) part of a broader trope that I really enjoy, obviously done to literal death. But I love the hero's journey. I'm yes, sorry. The her- I know that journey. it's, but I know that that is both a trope and like the cliche. Yes. But it's like there's a reason that that has been around since literally the dawn of time. Right. Well, cause, yeah, because yeah, I was gonna say hero's satisfying journey story slash like home away home. It's so classic. It's just like so. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You're gonna go away from home. You're gonna learn something, and you're gonna return. Like, no, and I love the full scope of the hero's journey of, like, scrappy underdog, like, nothing kid is the chosen one and has the wise mentor. Right. Cryptic wise mentor and, like, varying companions and... I love it. Yeah. I'm a sucker for it. Huge sucker for it. Like... There is a reason that I... Have always been, like, a Star Wars fan, even though, like, again, kind of a hot take, but it's, like, there's not a good Star Wars movie except for maybe A New Hope. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. But A New Hope doesn't even, like, complete the hero's journey for Luke. You know, like... Right. The 
hero's journey. Like, Star Wars is often used to, like, illustrate a hero's journey. But it's like, that's... You have to watch the full original trilogy. Like, the full original trilogy to get the whole hero's journey. Right. But there's literally billions of other things that have used the hero's journey throughout time. Starting with literal mythology and stuff. Right. And then also very famously, the Odyssey. Yes. But it's like... When it works, it works. Right? Because I also had on my list, just as generic, just as, like, of course, is just good versus evil. I I, I just, I'm like, every so often, I, it yeah. doesn't need to be complicated. I don't dislike a complicated I story. I, I like it. I love moral ambiguity. I love but, like, a gray area and stuff. Watching but sometimes I also just love... Av- both the Avatar movies made me realize, you know what? Sometimes it's just these are the fucking bad guys. Because they want to... And these just, are the good guys. These are the good guys. Exactly. Like, and... There's nothing inherently wrong with that. No, it's like it can get boring. And, like, I get... It can get boring and it that. can get problematic. Yeah, exactly. Looking at the entire Disney Renaissance era of queer-coded villains. Queer-coded villains. Queer-coded villains made by a gay man. Right. To be fair. But... But the also, fact that I will say that to me, top three most iconic Disney villains: ooh. Maleficent, Jafar, and Ursula. Maleficent, Jafar, and Ursula are—I mean, they're serving for for real. Those are like Maleficent and Jafar have their own separate issues outside of queer coding. Jafar is also kind of queer coded, but it's messy and weird with Jafar just in general. Right. Um there's also a lot of racism going on yeah, with Jafar. The racism with Jafar. But the fact that Ursula is as evil as she is and is also literally literally one hundred percent Confirmed by everyone on the team and everything based on one of the most famous drag queens of all time. Yes. Which is part of what made her iconic. Exactly. Because Divine was iconic. But also the fact that she is completely horrible, horribly evil, and to go with a lot of the rhetoric going around right now, because I'm not going to get into all of it, but... We are regressing to, like, the early 1980s in terms of homophobia and transphobia in a really scary way right now. Yeah. As a society as a whole. Things are the worst that they've been in literally, like, 50 years. Yeah, like, it's Like, a long time. Like... And so the fact that one of the most iconic Disney villains ever is based on a drag queen and her whole thing... Is taking advantage of a child. Yeah. Does not sit right with me anymore. No. And that's where I'm like, I think Ursula is very iconic. And I I know that at that time was not the intention for raising Ursula off of Divine. And Divine would have loved having Ursula based off of her, I think. Because Ursula is just... A very Evil for the sake of being evil and very camp. Yeah, right. And Divine would have loved that. But it's also but, like... But the way that things are... I think, well, and seeing how many specifically young people are hopping on some of this rhetoric and stuff without even, like, thinking about it and without even intentionally being anti-queer, I do blame Disney for that and the yeah. queer coding of villains. They... Because I think it has made it very easy for some of these kids who, like, fully grew up with that and fully internalized that without meaning to, to be like trans people groom children. Yeah. Because I have seen, I have had to unfollow at least like 10 people, if not more over the past like year or two. Damn. Who were, I really respected and liked on like TikTok and Twitter and Twitch and stuff because even actively queer people who just like immediately jumped on the like rhetoric and stuff because they are so brainwashed by 
even that kind of stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's a really... This is such a sidetrack tangent, but it is important. It's like, it is a genuinely really fucking scary time to be a queer person right now. Yeah, it is. Um, And yeah, like you said, as much as I love those villains, it's like very scary now with the way people act and think. Because and the it's fact like, that I'm sure I that was part know of it. that's part of it. Yeah, like, it's like even it without them saying it, even it. without them knowing it, I, I know. I think it's subconscious. I don't yeah. think they know that that is part of it. But it's like, it is. For sure. There is so much specifically that mm-hmm. Disney has to answer for in the wave of, like, young millennial slash Gen Z people who are blatantly homophobic or transphobic or racist or whatever without even meaning to be. Yeah. They're like that. I I will willingly blame Disney for part of that. Yeah. Because they are part of the problem. Like. And that is a long tangent to kind of be like There are tropes and stuff associated with the villains and stuff that sometimes I enjoy, but as I get older and as things are getting fucked up and scary in the United States and elsewhere, but especially here right now, writer to writer, if anybody is listening to this that creates content, think about what you were considering to be villain traits. Right. Before you assigned them to your villains. Very relevant right now with the big Harry Potter game that is both extremely anti-Semitic. I'm going to start with that. Yeah. Because there's been a lot of conversation around the transphobia, which is, I am not pushing that aside. No. But the but game is far like more anti-Semitic. Yeah. Than it is transphobic. It, right. Um, like people, it and feels like very, a very intentionally anti Semitic, which J.K. Rowling has always been intentionally anti Semitic. Yes. But also the literal creative director of the game is a full alt right Nazi and has been for years before this game even came out. So this is, again, Side tangent, not what we intended to talk about, but it's, we never fully stay no, on topic and it's also anyways. Like important. And it's also it's, important, and it's just like, I'm not even joking. If you were listening to this and you are playing Hogwarts Legacy, if you bought Hogwarts Legacy, don't listen to this. Don't yeah, fucking talk welcome. to us. I literally unwelcome. hate you. Yeah, literally don't. I literally hate don't you. Don't come around here. You are giving You're not supposed to be money here. to... Anti-Semitism to transphobia to racism, and also all the people being like J.K. Rowling wasn't involved. It's like people, and I saw a lot of on TikTok being like royalties don't even get you that much money. Royalties are the only thing that gets you money in any in creative, any creative thing. Yes, feel exactly. All of her money is from royalties. Any penny. You spent on that shitty game. And again, it's not just her. It's also a lot of the people that worked on the game and stuff. Any fucking cent that you spent on what, from what I've read, isn't even a good game. Yeah, I've only heard gameplay bad wise things and stuff, about gameplay. But also story and everything. It's like, you are literally giving money to all of the people who are actively trying to make the world even worse than it already has been. Yes, Exactly. Um, and I hate you. Yeah, exactly. I hate Sorry. you. Sorry. Um, because <laughs> this is something that we could even have like an episode on. Yes. Oh, fully. but it's very much like that idea that those people have that they will say fiction does not equal reality, and I'm like, that is, I'm like, that well, is not that is both true and not true because you are saying two absolutes. When there is gray area in between that you are There's a ignoring. large gray area. And you are ignoring on purpose because and you also, don't want to take responsibility for the ideas that you harness yes. from the media that you consume. Yes. You do not want to admit 
that you have some fucked up ideals because of these things that you are leaning into. And also, I will continue off of that to say, if you're one of those people who was like, oh, I bought the game, but I also donated to like a trans charity, it's like, that is a net zero. Yeah. Because you still gave money to like 15 trans folks who worked on the game. Yeah, exactly. Who are using the money you gave them to fund anti-trans rhetoric. Exactly. Like, so even if you were giving to trans charities, you didn't. You do were doing shit. a net zero, or still overall a net negative because J.K. Rowling has a bigger voice and a bigger platform than a lot of trans charities, unfortunately. Exactly. And but it's like the anti-Semitism again. Anti- that's huge, huge. Like you can't be like, oh, I donated to a, to a trans charity. What does that do for them? Like, what, what, what does that do for anyone? When no, you just spent money especially on this because game. Like, the game, the story of the game itself is 100% intentionally an anti-Semitic narrative. Exactly. It is fully, on purpose. 100% on purpose, a Nazi story. Exactly. No, yeah. If you fuck with Harry Potter, you can't be here. You're not welcome. <laughs> exactly. And I say that as somebody who was into it for a long while. Yeah. But it's like... I dabbled a little. and If you cannot separate yourself from that, knowing all of the shittiness of it, that is on you 150%. And people also try to use, like, death of the author and stuff with Harry she's Potter. And it's like... alive and gaining she's from She's alive it. and gaining from it. Death of the author, author was literally, like, first started to be talked about with, like, H.P. Lovecraft, who is extremely dead... Has definitely had problematic views that are relevant and able to be dissected through his work. But it's like, when J.K. Rowling dies, if people want to, like, read that stuff and go death of the author, like, I will It's kind of like be more accepting of that because it's like... She is dead. <laughs> exactly. Because, like, like again, point. to go with the H.P. Lovecraft example, like, no money is going towards racism... If you, like, buy the Call of Cthulhu now or whatever that book is called. Yeah, because now he can't, like, like it can't he, benefit he's him. Not get, <laughs> he's not he's dead. He's not getting any debtor. And Death of the Author was always intent, like, originally intended for, like, actually dead, dead authors, authors. Because I am not saying all, like, problematic things should be banned that like problematic works and stuff shouldn't no. be talked about like, that's because not they what should be because like if you don't learn from the past you're going to repeat it and stuff and it's also like in the case of H.P. Lovecraft it's like he did a lot to create like an entire subgenre of horror and stuff exactly but it's really important to talk about that alongside his racism and everything right and that's where it's like J.K. Rowling didn't do anything to create anything because even when it first came out Harry Potter was not like an original concept and it's like the the older I get and the more I've studied just like literature and writing and stuff the more I've realized that it's like Harry Potter was never even like good so that makes me even more just be like why should we do Death of the Author for something that didn't really contribute anything to like art as a whole and more just is like alongside Pokemon and stuff as like the artist secondary to like the merchandising and the capitalism right? because that is all Harry Potter means to me now and it does not even have what Pokemon has as being genuinely good games with like amazingly fun and inventive designs and stuff (laughs) because like there have been wizard schools before and after Harry Potter. Right. And a lot of those other ones don't have an extremely white, racist, homophobic, transphobic British person's view of that. Right. Also, she's British. Oh my god. Literally. But anyways, we got super sidetracked Super here. sidetracked. We're cl- close-ish to an hour. Uh, do we have any other tropes we want to round it off with? I don't have a ton more. Um... Not really. I 
I think I've pretty much listed everything that I had on here. Um, and I think that that's a good way to end it with, oh, the point of that was think about how you're like writing your villain. If you're writing a villain, and also just think, think about, about the impact think that, about that will your have. <laughs> biases and stuff yeah. in general. And everybody has bias. It's literally yeah. a part you of being like human. You can't avoid that. You cannot avoid having bias. There are also positive and negative biases. But try to be aware of your biases and don't make your villain the poster child for the groups that you have bias against and also try to work on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, that being said, I think my final favorite trope to end things off is I love the underdog. Underdog. Always good. That's it. No, it's... I'm not even going to elaborate. The underdog? I love an underdog story. When they get story. to have a training scene with the underdog? I just love that, it. Shit, that makes me crazy. I just that love helps. an underdog. I just, in general, love an underdog. Yeah. I do, too. But... I don't have a lot more to add to that, really, because it's just a good trope. Right. <laughs> and it's a very common one. For um, reason. All of that being said, you can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr uh, at Breezy Banter. Um, we haven't used the Tumblr in a long time, but I do want to get that kind of up and running again because Twitter's kind of on fire, and and it's been a little better, better than it was for a little bit. But it's who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so I'm just gonna plug both. Um, if you have any suggestions, comments, any of that, you can leave those on either of those. We also have an email for the podcast. Can't change the name of an email in Gmail, so it is still bubblegumbops at gmail.com. Yep. It's always going to be that because, again, for whatever reason, you cannot change the actual email address on Gmail. Yeah, I don't know what It is what it is. is I'm not going fine. to make a whole new Gmail account. Right. So we are Breezy Banter, exactly. but the email is always going to be bubblegumbops at gmail.com. Um, that is definitely where to get a hold of us more specifically for, like, any really specific suggestions or, like, more businessy side of things, which we're not super active in where we are right now, but... Maybe. It's there. Yeah, exactly. Um... And you can join us for our next episode. Thank you for listening. This has been Breezy Banter.